Everybody doing good? You doing all right? It's always a little with the masks, you know, it's hard to see facial expressions, but lots to be thankful for. And it's the Super Bowl, which is some of you, that's like wonderful. It's a great day. I will say this, okay, so I do have an 11-year-old in my home who, most of you know, I follow the four major sports fairly closely. It's, it's a mild obsession. And um, he came to me a couple years ago and said, I'm going to be a Cincinnati Bengals fan. And I was like, the Bengals of all teams, why would you pick this team? Well, he's enamored with the quarterback, and um, here they are in the Super Bowl. None of you care, but it's pretty, I'm really happy for him, because it's just wonderful to see somebody just take delight in this, so it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, just a couple announcements before we jump in. One is welcome. If you're new, my name is Drew, and we have a, a bit of a team here that would love to say hello. Great to have you here, and uh, kind of trying our best to regather in this really weird moment. Um, can't be understated, but also I know some of you're like, can we just not talk about the pandemic? Obviously, we would love to move beyond this, but this is our second Sunday back, so it's wonderful to have you here and really excited about some of the future things. Um, One of those is, there's a couple things coming up. One is Ash Wednesday is just around the corner, and as you know, as a community that really loves to follow the liturgical church calendar, so if you're a part of the community here, you'll often hear things like uh, us talk about Advent and Epiphany and the season of Lent and Easter and Eastertide and all the way through the church calendar. A big moment for us is this thing called Ash Wednesday. And what we do as a community is we just take time to really center ourselves together into the Lenten season. Uh, It's really sad because pre-pandemic, on the Wednesday of Ash Wednesday, it was just basically a month before the pandemic started, we had a wonderful time in the glass room. It was packed out. We ate together. We had a night of worship and reflection and prayer together. And it was beautiful. And from that moment, we've said we always want to do something on Ash Wednesday. This year, the plan right now is to meet in our Praxis communities. And at 6 p.m. on that evening, there's going to be a live stream that's going to be a liturgy of music and songs, of readings, of scripture, and of prayer. Um, We'll let you know if that changes where we get into the same room together. But at this point, um, we're encouraging any Praxis communities, if you meet during the week, to maybe adjust your time, if you can, to the Wednesday for that week, just as a way to get together. Uh, We're going to encourage communities, if you're together, to take the bread and cup together and all that. If you're not in a community and don't want to be, that's fine. Um, You can watch online. There's going to be a live stream. So looking forward to that just as a way to kind of turn ourselves here from Epiphany into Lent. Uh, But the other thing is, is just if you're new and haven't heard, we've really taken on now in 2022 this kind of hybrid vision of we've just been really asking, I have and our team has been asking a lot of questions around the church of the future, around what discipleship is in our moment in a pandemic-shaped world. And one of the things we've been kind of preparing for the last six months or so is that the first Sunday of every month, instead of meeting in this space altogether that we're going to meet in praxis communities across the city and join in and give space and opportunity to gather together. This is one from a couple weeks ago. A number of groups met and this is the hope. The hope is now is to kind of step into this as a way not just to come and kind of watch. The the last thing we want is for people to come and just watch somebody put on church. That actually is really scary. Like deep down in my bones, I'm really kind of fearful of that. We want to create a community where we're turning towards each other. We need this environment. We need teaching and corporate worship like this, obviously. So once a month, though, we want to move kind of towards Praxis communities. Now, if you're not in one, our hope over the next number of weeks is to get you in one if you 
you want. And on these Sunday mornings, just like on Ash Wednesday, there'll be an opportunity to meet together and practice communities. If you don't want to, there'll be a live stream as well. But really excited looking ahead to, to that. And if you want to be involved in this, even this morning, I know uh, there's tons of people away. So just come see me. Come, we can chat. We'll, we want to get you in the best space and, uh, and community that will really help you engage in the community here. So excited about that. And then the other thing is this. Is this March 13th? We are going to have our annual meeting here. Some of you uh, are like, annual meeting? Ugh, that's terrible language, I know. Kind of, it's not the greatest language in the world. But um, basically what this is, is for anybody that's a member at Praxis, um, or if you want to be a member, as obviously as part of like a charity and we're a community and charity together, there are some things that we kind of ha- have to abide to in a beautiful way, as far as checks and balances as being an organization and charity. And so once a year we have an annual meeting, We bring anybody up to speed with um, the financial update and some of the things going on in church life and just kind of give you a little picture of what's ahead, bring you up to speed on the finances. It's going to be wonderful. Now, here's what we're doing. I'm going to entice, we are, sorry, not me. Uh, We are going to entice you with box car donuts and Commonwealth coffee on that morning for everybody. At our gathering, we're going to have donuts and coffee and lots of fun stuff. Hopefully this, you know, there's no new variants and stuff that mess this up. Can't promise anything in my life right now, but on that morning, our hope is, is to have some coffee and donuts, bring up to speed, and then all the, anybody that's a member wants to stay, you can stay. That word membership is not like a country club style word. It's just a word that we really believe gives a people an opportunity to enter into the discussion here, join in uh, in kind of seeing the church move forward and gives opportunity to hear again and be involved in some of the things that are going on. So if you want that and you want to be a part of that, there's a really simple process. If you go to mypraxis.church slash membership, you can follow the prompts there and that'll be helpful. Sound good? I know that's a lot. It's a lot, but thanks for hanging in there. Oh, there's one more thing too. We, if you are involved here, we're getting our schedules, obviously kind of regathering. We're getting our schedules going as far as um, teams and setup teams and worship teams, kids teams, all of that. If you'd like to be involved, you can go to mypraxis.church slash get involved. And that just helps us. We do need some more hands. And like I said, we're not trying to like put on a show here, but at the same time, there's lights that need to be set up and there's wonderful black drape around you and there's kids lessons and things that need to be done so we're trying to travel light as light as we can here but uh, if you want to be involved in any way or could help us uh, on a once a month schedule and kids my friends is once every eight weeks come on come on somebody that is like that's pretty good setup I think so if you could help us in any way with some of these areas um, just go there and let us know All that said, let's talk about Jesus and the kingdom and uh, what Galatians has to say. Sound like a plan? If you have a Bible and you want to follow along with us this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. The last few weeks or so, both in communities and as we've been regathering and on Zoom over the month of January, we've been kind of kick-starting this series and letter through, uh, through the letter of Galatians. And Galatians is this uh, letter written by a guy named Paul to some early church communities in the ancient Mediterranean, uh, ancient Mediterranean in Galatia. And we've just kind of got the ball rolling around the context and what we're engaging in. Now, last week, these opening, what I love about the Bible is these opening chapters are so unique when it comes to Galatians because for most of us, at kind of a pop evangelical level, 
know a couple things about Galatians. One is the verse around there being neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, you know, all the, the, the picture that Paul gives around status and class and how we're kind of all one in Jesus. That's usually what people pick up. The other thing that people pick up from Galatians is in Galatians 5 around this thing, if you're a flannel board kid like myself, called the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody have the fruit of the Spirit flannel board? Anybody, okay, anybody need to be in therapy like I do? It's all good, you're with me? Those are the two things people take away. What's fascinating, you open up the letter, and it's really, it's not that it's dense, it's just this guy, Paul, writing to communities, and he, he's arguing with them. This is what he's doing. He's written a letter, he's arguing uh, a significant point that he believes the gospel hinges on, and what's really fascinating is it's not like this mind-blowing thing as much as he begins to tell his story. So last week we talked, he writes this community, and he's, and again, most of us maybe don't realize this when we read a letter like this, he's basically arguing with these churches that he wasn't a part of the uh, Jerusalem apostleship, which was where basically, you know, the center of Judaism was and where a lot of the major apostles were. He's actually arguing with the community they didn't pass their gospel on to me. I wasn't a part of that. And actually tells in layers his story around how he really wasn't in Jerusalem and he only saw Peter for a few days and just kind of really on a practical level arguing with this community that they didn't pass on to me what I'm passing on to you. What I have for you as a community is from God. Like what I'm actually passing on in writing form and when I come to your churches and these house churches that would meet together, he's basically saying, this is a revelation from God. And so he begins to unpack his own story of going to Damascus and God absolutely changing his life, and now him bringing this news of the kingdom and Jesus' work, and has to argue in some ways for the unity of this whole thing, that listen, I didn't, they didn't pass this on to me. I saw God. God came to me and changed me. Make sense? Not, you, you with me? A little few hot net, uh, head nods behind the mask. Like it's not, this is not like maybe exhilarating or mind-blowing stuff of often what we pick up from certain pieces that we put on bumper stickers and bookmarks, but it's actually really integral to what's going on here. So then you get to Galatians 2, and he just continues. Listen to his language. This is so fun. This is great. He says this, then, just to get specific, he says, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. So he talks in chapter one about a little stint with Peter potentially in Jerusalem. Sounds like this is stint number two. So I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. And I took Titus along, just in case you were wondering. And I went in response to a revelation And meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach to the Gentiles. So picture Paul with his bros going uh, to Jerusalem here to kind of meet with the leaders. And he says this, I want to be sure, and this is why I went, I I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. This is fascinating because Paul here, remember, the highest Jewish, basically, credentials you could have in the Sanhedrin, studied under Gamaliel, has all the credentials you could imagine, and then he comes and he's writing these churches basically saying, I went to Jerusalem a second time basically because I wanted to make sure I was on the right track. Now, isn't, 
I mean, when you stop here and you think, just how many at times assertions there are in evangelicalism. We just kind of have to be right, right? Right? We got to be right. And yet, the writer of the majority of the New Testament is writing and saying, I went to these brothers as this thing was unfolding, partly because I wanted to make sure that I was on the right track and I was actually running the right race. That there's humility here. Oftentimes we paint Paul as very ambitious and in your face, and there are part truths to that, absolutely. But here he kind of lays it down and says, listen, I went here because I wanted to make sure I was running this race well. Verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Now, I can just imagine Titus picking up this later, later, <laughs> a letter later as Paul is unpacking this. And remember the picture here, if that sounds a little weird to you, is that obviously this was an external marker for the Jewish community. Circumcision, if you don't know what it is, ask your parents later, especially you in the front, just ask your mom later, okay? Your mom, not your dad, ask your mom later. But this was an external kind of piece. And those are my kids, if you're like, who are those kids in the, that, those are mine. Um, there's this external piece amongst kosher eating and Sabbath that the Jewish community had kind of made as markers. And Paul is arguing deeply as one of the highest Jewish guys in that culture and society that these are not markers now that everybody has to enter into. So I can just imagine Titus getting this letter later as well and hearing his name. Verse four, this matter arose because some false believers I think the, the term we used last week is, I used the word Judaizers. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright doesn't like that term as much. He calls them pseudo-family members, these false, what could be translated false brethren within the church. Um, the matter arose because some of these false or pseudo-family members had infiltrated our ranks, Paul says, to spy on the freedom we have in Jesus Christ and to make us slaves. He goes on, verse 5, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So Paul's like using like this militant language to talk about these Judaizers or these people that want to put burdens on the Jewish or on the Gentile community in Galatia to actually have to enter into these Jewish things to be, become Christians. And so this is what's at the heart of the whole argument. You with me, brothers and sisters? You okay? I know. That's, again, we read stuff and we just want to pick like this. The, I do this too. The verses that want to mean, like want to mean a lot to me and the things that I want to reflect on and I'll go to certain places and spaces in Galatians that encourages me. I think we can't let it pass us that these opening chapters open very like on the ground. Paul writing to people, arguing a certain position, kind of laying it out, and even gives all these signposts that like, yo, I did go to Jerusalem only for a little bit with Peter. I did come back and then I went to Jerusalem again. I brought my friends with me. And actually, the footnote for this, you can read it in Acts, is Acts chapter 11. What you get right here, you can read in more de detail in Acts chapter 11 when Paul and Barnabas are in the city of Antioch doing ministry with the Gentile believers there, right? So we get a picture of this. Keep reading with me. I promise we'll come to an end. Verse 6. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. 
On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching to the uncircum uh, to the circumcised uh, sorry to the uncircumcised sorry, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Then he named some people. Verse 9, James and Cephas, who was Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and then to the circumcised, And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. What is going on here? Well, it's pretty simple. It it seems, and I think this is what is actually unfolding here, that Paul goes then to Jerusalem at one point, and he begins to connect with these leaders in Jerusalem. And there seems to be some more clarity that kind of unpacks. And it can feel like a couple thousand years later that it doesn't overly matter to us, but in this moment it seems like there's a lot going on as far as what needs to be unraveled in the church. And it's simply this. There seems to be commonality unfolding. And again, this sounds funny. That you don't have to enter into these types of things, these Jewish things, to become Christian. That Paul has this this call to the Gentile, non-Jewish world, and here in Galatians 2, and you actually read some of this unfold in Acts 11 and Acts 15, that part of what happens is there's affirmation then from the apostles that this is good, that this is a good thing, that these things actually are working together. Um, Acts 15 actually is the Council of Jerusalem. Most scholars think that Galatians was actually written before that, but if you know how that unfolds, finally there's a council with the major leaders within the church and they come together and they do realize that it's good to us in the spirit that people don't have to enter into these types of practices to become followers of Jesus, that it's allegiance and faith to Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're in a Jewish community, in the diaspora, or you are now where Paul is going all throughout the ancient Mediterranean. Faith or allegiance to Jesus is the marker for coming into the community of Jesus. Now, anybody in the room thankful for that? Any, no, like no circumcision booths at Praxis Church? Come on, you, that's a good thing, I think, right? Um, that I know we picked this up a couple thousand years later, and this is very, our story has very much developed. But as I've been just studying this letter, and kind of as we've been engaging this letter, and what I love about kind of walking through things a little slowly, is you don't skip over the stuff that actually mattered to this first century community. Uh, One scholar, again, N.T. Wright, he puts it this way. He says this, God's power they recognize this in, this path, in the unfolding here, that God's power had been at work in both cases, right? The one who gave Peter the power to be an apostle to the circumcision or to the Jewish people gave me, Paul is saying, the power to the Gentiles. The word here is actually enegio, which is the word where we get, like kind of we translate now, energy, fascinating. Paul is not so much referring to the physical energy needed to carry out the task, though that would no doubt be necessary, but rather to the divine power at work in what God is doing in the world at that point in human history. That what God did through Father Abraham is now 
kind of unfolding in the midst of the people post-Pentecost and that this good news of the kingdom of God is for everybody. McKnight goes on, or I'm sorry, uh, N.T. Wright goes on. He says, in any case, as with more than a subsequent church agreement, what mattered was that all sides were happy and could go back home and work out what to do from there. The agreement, such as it was, was at least based on secure theological foundations and as in verse 8, God was at work. This is Paul's regular way of speaking about how the gospel takes effect. The gospel is God's power bringing salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who has faith, this is what the gospel is. You with me? This is the beautiful unfold. This actually affects now our story a couple thousand years later. The church quib going on in uh, the, the Galatian churches are, is obviously at a distance from us, but how thankful we should be that what is unfolding here actually affects us to now where we sit in a rented building on a Sunday morning, Super Bowl Sunday morning, 2022, and that this was ironed out to give us hope to lean into the very same gospel. And the thing that stands out to me in all of this is just how God was at work. I like how N.T. Wright says, in both cases, right? Think about it. Uh, I've been kind of challenged this week because I have a particular bent, like as kind of like a pastor dude leading a church. I'll be honest with you, like there's layers to my story that affect even the way that I lead as a pastor in a church community, and you come from your family of origin, right? But you also come, many of you that have different past church experiences, you come from your church of origin with certain felt experiences that you bring to the community. Am I right? And there, in and amongst that, in myself, and if you've had experience within the kingdom of God and in churches, comes at times certain expectations and certain ways of doing things. And if we could be honest at times, and I'll just kind of be honest with you, at times so convinced on these particular ways that we think that they're the best. Anybody else kind of open enough to like acknowledge that? Like uh, many of you know, my journey, I grew up in a very uh, charismatic tradition, which I'm super thankful for. Love my upbringing. Love you, mom and dad, if you're out there. Right? I love, love that environment that I grew up in. But there's been also this journey within me towards, and us as a community, towards practice-based discipleship and turning our chairs into one another. Community-based discipleship, these things that we're going after as far as the renewal of the city. And it could be easy to think that what we're doing as a church community here is the right or the best thing, right? And yet what you see in the conflict and in some of the church quib between this whole Jewish and Gentile idea is that God was actually working in both cases. And there should be an openness, um, no matter where we come from, the type of experiences we bring, our family of origin, our church of origin, past experiences, that God can even move in ways that may not even fully sit right with us at times. You with me? or move in ways that would even sometimes be counter to our personality. That this whole kingdom of God thing is, it's utterly shattering the religious ideologies of the day in its moment. And sometimes for us, 
We just need to be confronted with the same thing. And so I come to this text and I go, man, I have a particular bent and a type of way that I think and I like coming around the scriptures and a way that I like leading. But it's fascinating here that God was working in both ways. And I just want to remind us that God often works, he always seems to work in ways bigger than ourselves or ways bigger than our little movement or our little community, that it takes all sorts. Now, what we're going to notice, if you come back next week, oh, a little teaser, do you like that? That's what they call a teaser in radio. Next week, we're going to get into actually how Peter and Paul kind of get into it because Peter falls back. What's fascinating, a guy who walked with Jesus actually falls back into the trap of thinking that, you know, even, and we see it unfold in, in uh, the stories in Acts, but he actually falls back, an apostle of Jesus, into this thinking that people, Gentile people, have to go through the Jewish traditional stuff to come into the church. And so Paul and him are going to have a little bit of a go, which is fascinating. Like, this is the Bible that we read. But for now, we need to be confronted just with the reality that God works in ways that are way bigger than us and sometimes our thinking. So that's one thing I think we need to grab hold of. The other thing, just before we come to the tables, that cannot be lost on us, brothers and sisters, is how this ends. Did you, did you pick it up? Paul says, okay, we've come to agreement that this is the power of the gospel. I am going to go to the Gentile people, the people who did not grow up in the Jewish line. I'm going to go to them with this good news of the kingdom. And did you hear what Paul says, really, the, the Jerusalem apostles and elders wanted him to do, though? What did they say? What does it say? And they asked, all that they asked, sorry, was that we should continue to remember who? The poor. What? Paul says all they ask is that we should, we've sorted this whole theological thing out, but now as you go, just remember the poor, the very thing, Paul says, I've been eager to do all along. Now what we love to do kind of in the Protestant, and we're going to end here, okay, but what we love to do in the Protestant kind of framework is kind of tack that on as, okay, the gospel is about justification, and it's about belief and right belief. This is what we do in the Western world, right? Like, I have to believe the right thing kind of to be saved. And there are part truths to that, absolutely. What's fascinating to me, though, is Paul connects, and the Jerusalem apostles connect the idea of care for the poor as something that is deeply central to the gospel, to the connection of the message of Jesus outflowing in a way that would actually affect other people. And this is not like, to, we can disagree on this, but this is not a subcategory for me. And I don't think it was a subcategory for Paul. That the gospel, when you hear what's happening and what's unfolding at Pentecost, the gospel was always meant to be good news for the poor. And certainly that means coming into allegiance with Jesus, but it also means a setting free of circumstances that we don't have to like separate these things. We don't have to like have information and belief disconnected from what the gospel does kind of on a level uh, socially within the lives of people. And Paul here is very, very clear, and over and over you catch this, that really how this works itself out is care for those that are marginalized and those that are on the margins. I do believe, and if, I think this is 
consistent throughout the New Testament that there seems to be a call for the church community first to care for the marginalized within their own sphere, those closest to them within the church community, within the household. And that's not because those outside of the household of God aren't as good and that for some reason people in the church are better. That's not it at all. I think there's actually a logistical outworking of this that when you're a community of people and you have people right among you that you're actually in relationship with, that you should care for them first. It's not like cutting off the people on the outside. It's, I think, a logistical way of looking at those within your care and, of course, opening the church, opening their lives to the people around them. So there's this call to care for our brothers and sisters and then this call to remember the poor as we go with the gospel, that this is not... This is not disconnected. The heart of it for us is just a clear reminder for us, not just to put on church services or even talk about the gospel without some sort of action of bringing the good news through demonstration, right? Uh, in the ne- I don't know if you can throw it up, Judah. In the next couple weeks, we have an opportunity just to continue to cultivate this in our community. Next Saturday night, we're gonna be at Uh, Arcade Mission, as we do bi-monthly as a community, and we're going to serve there. And if you want to be involved in this, this is just an active way for us as a community to um, just really be the hands and feet of Jesus, to connect with a community organization that really is doing discipleship, is serving the poor and marginalized in our community, feeding, the simple act of feeding and um, kind of bringing food and water to people, giving people that are maybe on the margins of our own city and even within the core here an opportunity to have a meal. Can you throw up, I think there's an announcement, there's some pictures there. No? No dice? Okay. And then, no sweat. And then the other thing is in the next couple weeks, just continue again for us to part, oh, oh, you guys look so good making sandwiches. Isn't that great? You guys are wonderful. So we come in, we make food, we, we uh, disperse it and uh, serve a meal together. Kids come. Um, you know, even for some of us that are parents, it's not just about like downloading information on them all the time. My kids have heard a lot of information, right? I'm sure your kids have too. It's about demonstrating it. Then the other thing is every February, just to tie into our hope to kind of continue to kind of partner is we engage in coldest night of the year. It's just a walk for Mission Services here in London. Mission Services does a wonderful job at just serving, the mar- uh, serving those on the margins in our city. And so we walk. This year it's a virtual walk, so you actually get to do it on your own. And if you want to join our team, just in Praxis Weekly, there's some links there. You can join. You can walk with us. Um, I think our goal is about $1,200 uh, for this year. We obliterated that the last few years. I think we had like a $1,200, $1,500 goal the last couple of years, and you guys just, we absolutely smashed it, so it was awesome. This year, if you just want to contribute, there's obviously links there to contribute as well. We really believe in mission services and, and what, what they do here in the city in helping those on the margins, and a way for us not to try and reinvent the wheel, but just to come alongside. With all that said, brothers and sisters, it's just, as I think about the unfolding of what Paul is trying to do here, there's some distance. Can we be honest? There's just some distance around some of the conflict and some of the things that Paul is working through. But as I look at this, I go, this is the gateway for us 
to sit here 2,000 years later with the message and the demonstration of the gospel passed on year after year after year. And here we are as a community with the opportunity to embrace it, that God has been at work in both cases, in this case, and God is at work in the most peculiar places and spaces you would ever think. And that's what's so beautiful about this kingdom. It's not disconnected from this good news being good news and liberation for the poor. This was the the prophecy of Joel in the Old Testament and what unfolds at Pentecost and now post-Pentecost as we kind of lean in and live into that. This is good news for all of us, all of us. And so as we come to the table, may we just be reminded of that. That's why we eat and drink a little bit every week. And yes, it's prepackaged grape juice and wafers. But there's, I kind of joke about that in light of a way to kind of express to us the importance of it. That we just don't hear, we just don't hear information and experience salvation just through belief, but we actually taste salvation. That it's something you and I, every single week, we enter into There's something about moving to the table here and ending our time in worship. There's something that that does as we enter into whole body type of worship that sitting and listening sometimes just can't do. I'm aware of that. The hard work of putting together a teaching during the week, I realize that the pinnacle, really kind of the crescendo of our time together is what God is gonna do in the next couple minutes as we take the bread and cup together.